Chapter 23 of The Pink Shop This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Books Under Banyan Tree The Pink Shop by Fergus Hume Chapter 23 One Part of the Truth Naturally, Mr. and Mrs. Shaw did not care about interrupting their honeymoon by a visit to town, especially on an errand connected with criminal matters. But the necessity of taking such a journey was very great, seeing that Perry Tote assured them how the arranged interview with Madame Coralie and her husband would probably clear up matters in a surprising way. Apparently, the detective knew much more than she was prepared to admit. For once or twice, she looked at the young couple in an odd way. Ralph saw her steadily glances, but did not ask her in the presence of his wife what they meant. Warned by experience, he hesitated to be too abrupt in his questioning. He did not know what astonishing fact might be told. But the young man did express surprise when he examined the photograph of Madame Coralie. It was the woman herself without doubt, for her face, although looking much younger, was too strongly marked to be mistaken. She was dressed as a nurse and looked quite pretty, as her figure was more shapely and the garb became her. Of course, the birthmark was not revealed by the photographic process, or if it had been, Ralph was not sufficiently an expert to know, was eliminated carefully, so that the subject of the portrait might appear at her best. Where did you get this? asked Ralph, when the trio walked back to the three fishers to get ready for the midday journey. I've been hunting for it for a long time, replied Perry Tote, replacing the photograph in her pocket, and at length procured it from an old servant of Colonel Ilsey, who had been in the house when Madame Coralie acted as a nurse to Mrs. Ilsey. She called herself Mrs. Askew then. Askew, Askew, muttered Shaw, musingly, and her true name is Arkwright. She used a false name with the same initial letter because of the marks on her linen, no doubt said Miss Toad. Of course, this portrait was taken more than twenty years ago, but there is sufficient resemblance for me to recognize it as that of Madame Coralie. But as she always wears a yashmak, you forget my midnight explorations of the pink shop. When I saw Madame Coralie in bed without the yashmak and by the light of my bull's-eye lantern, said the detective quickly. Then you're sure that she's the nurse who stole the child? Quite sure. It appears she was jealous of Mrs. Ilsey, as she was in love with the colonel at the time, although she had no ground to go upon. He was not the colonel then, of course. He is pleased at your discovery, I expect, said Audrey. Perry Tote cast one of her steadily glances at the young wife. Very pleased indeed, she assented cordially, since the discovery of Madame Coralie as a nurse may give him back his daughter. At the Three Fishers, Audrey found a curt note from her father saying that he was coming down to see her that afternoon, as he had obtained her address from Lady Sandby. Sir Joseph had learnt all about the wedding and how Lady Sandby had acted as the fairy godmother. Perhaps for this reason, he was willing to be reconciled to his daughter. But a letter from Miss Rosie Pearl to Ralph, which had arrived by the same post, put a different complexion on the affair. Miss Pearl wrote, saying that she had prevailed on Sir Joseph to become friends again with Audrey and that she would come herself with the millionaire to weed on the sands to witness the reconciliation. Fortunately, 
am not engaged at any music hall for two weeks, wrote the dancer. So I can stay at the Three Fishers for the night and cultivate the society of your wife. I may tell you that if she were not at Weed on the Sands, I would not be able to calm down with Sir Joseph, as in my profession one can never be too careful. Ralph laughed at this display of Miss Pearl's uneasy virtue. I'm afraid that she will not find us here, he said to Audrey. Not this afternoon, replied the girl quickly. But we can return by that late train. I shall like to become reconciled with Papa. I think Lady Sandby has something to do with Sir Joseph's desire to be on speaking terms with us, said Ralph, a trifle dryly. No doubt she gave him a good talking to. However, I shall leave a note saying that we shall return by. When can we return, Miss Tote? The detective thought for a moment or so. We leave here by the half-past twelve train, she said, looking at the watch attached to her wrist, and get to London at half-past two o'clock. We shall reach my office in Buckingham Street at three, and there I expect to find Madame Coralie and Eddie Vale waiting for us. The interview will likely be a long one, say two or three hours. You can catch the six o'clock train, and there is also one at eight, if you prefer to dine in London. We will take the six train back, said Audrey quickly. As I don't want to keep my father waiting longer than I can help. To say nothing of Miss Pearl, said Ralph with a shrug. She'd be horrified if we did not arrive at the Three Fishers until eight o'clock, and she found herself alone with her future husband at that disgraceful hour. By the way, Miss Tote, he went on quickly, for he saw that Audrey was about to rebuke him for his Philippine speech. Does Colonel Ilsey know that? He knows that this interview is taking place," interrupted the detective rapidly, "and he will be present at it, so that Madame Coralie may be forced to tell him where his long-lost daughter is to be found. Of course, we have the affair of the murder to deal with also, but it is just as well to get the whole matter finished off at once. I, for one, shall be delighted," said Shaw with emphasis. "I'm very, very tired of the whole sordid business." I think you must have been when you wrote that anonymous letter," said Miss Tote with a sly smile. Ralph laughed. "It was very clever of you to trace the writing of it to me," he remarked coolly. "However, my wife now understands why I wrote it." Here, Audrey intimated her opinion that they would lose the train if they did not start at once for the station. The other agreed, and a brisk walk soon took them onto the platform. Shortly, they were on their way to the junction. And there transferred their three selves to the main express. During the journey, they talked a great deal about the case, as they had a compartment to themselves. Ralph saw, although Audrey did not. Miss Tote was keeping back something which she was anxious to tell, and wondered what it could be. When the train left the junction, it streamed through a clear atmosphere and in the midst of sunshine. But as it drew near to the metropolis. The air became dense and smoky, and by the time it arrived at the terminus, the three travellers found themselves environed by a thick fog. Not a glimpse of the sun was to be seen, and all round was a cotton wool atmosphere, disagreeable and dispiriting. Audrey shivered when she stepped out onto the London platform, and she was glad that Ralph had insisted on bringing a fur cloak with him for her to wear. What an extraordinary climate! She said with a shudder. 
scarcely an hour ago and we were in broad sunshine now look at it look at what asked ralph laughing we can see nothing and indeed he was right from victoria station to the strand they were in a kind of cloudland through which the taxi cab crawled at a cautious pace it took them 3 quarters of an hour to reach buckingham street and here the fog was denser than ever miss tote leading the way up the narrow stairs to her office simply groped amidst the familiar surroundings like a miner in a coal mine however the two rooms of the office blazed with electric lights and the warmth and the illumination were quite comfortable after the chilly gloom of the streets madam corolla and her husband were waiting but colonel ilse had not yet put in an appearance the proprietor of the pink shop had for once discarded her turkish dress and yashmak she wore a quiet costume and a loose cloak to hide her shapeless figure together with a thick black veil which masked the disfigured face eddie appeared overdressed and more cherubic than ever in a quite unnecessary fur coat for the day was warm in spite of the fog and he did not need it his face however was very pale and he looked decidedly uncomfortable as he grinned uneasily at mrs shaw dear aunt flora how are you said the girl coming forward madam corolla kept her at arm's length and simply shook her hand you are mrs shaw now she said quietly and do not belong to me i shall always look upon you as my aunt and i shall never forget your kindness to me in my hour of need said audrey hurt by the school behavior you're a good child said madam corolla quietly and in a steady voice but i have not done all that i wish to do i intend to see your father and make him give you an allowance oh papa will do that in any case i think said mrs shaw eagerly he's going down today to read on the sands to the three fishers hotel where ralph and i are staying your father has gone down to see you and you're not there we had to come up at the request of miss tote to see about this business aunt flora said audrey quickly but we shall return by the 6 or 8 o'clock train to see papa and miss rosie pool madam corolla is startled what has miss rosie pool's got to do with your father going down to see you she asked in an angry tone miss pool so she says remarked ralph has persuaded sir joseph to forgive audrey oh madam corolla shook from head to foot with a silent rage how dare she that women how dare she to go down to weir on the sands with your father and on such an errand she means well aunt i shall see you that later retorted madam corolla ominously quite so said perry tot looking up briskly as she sat down at her desk meanwhile we must see to the matter in hand that is what i wish to know about said madam corolla sharply Eddie told me that you had been talking to him and insisted that I should come with him this day. Perhaps you will tell me what it all means. This fool," she added, glaring at Eddie through her veil, "pretends he knows nothing." Eddie swallowed something and balanced his smart silk hat on his knee. "I only know that Miss Tote seems to think that I killed Lady Branwen." "That is ridiculous," said Madame Corolla resolutely. 
Are you going to reopen that painful case? She asked Peridot abruptly. I don't think that it was ever closed, said the detective quietly. And in view of what Miss Pearl overheard, it is necessary to talk about the matter, however painful it may be to you, madam. What did Miss Pearl overhear? You shall know later. It is my belief, said Madame Coralie, folding her arms and speaking in a loud tone, that Miss Pearl is implicated in the matter. We shall prove that in a certain way, said Perry Toad, quickly. As Miss Pearl certainly saw Lady Branwen dead, she stole down into her lower passage and entered the bedroom about nine. What was she doing wandering about my house at that hour? demanded Madame Coralie fiercely. You shall learn soon. Meanwhile, we must wait for the arrival of Colonel Ilse. And she looked directly at Madame Coralie to see what effect the name had on her. Whatever her recollections the name brought to Madame Coralie, she did not reveal that they startled her but remained silent behind the thick folds of the veil which masked her face. Audrey would have spoken, if only to ask why Perry Tote was badgering her aunt, when the door opened and Colonel Ilse made his appearance. He looked spick and span and entirely military in his upright carriage. I'm glad to see you, Colonel Ilse, said Perry Tote, and Audrey, whose hand was on the arm of her aunt, felt the woman quiver, although she did not open her mouth. The colonel seemed rather perturbed and addressed himself to Miss Toad after a hurried glance at Audrey. You wrote saying you had found the nurse who stole my daughter, Elsie, he said in a faltering tone. Yes, said Perry Toad, deliberately pointing to Madame Coralie. There she is, colonel. It is a lie, breathed Madame Coralie under her breath. It is not a lie, said the detective coldly. No more than the fact that your husband killed Lady Branwen is a lie. Eddie jumped to his feet with a shrill, hysterical laugh. I did not kill Lady Branwen, he said excitedly. I can prove that I did not. Hold your tongue, you fool, cried Madame Coralie savagely. Prove your innocence, commanded Perry Tote, who looked puzzled. Lady Branwen, said the veil, still shrilly, is not dead. Not dead? Everyone looked bewildered. Eddie stretched out his hand and pulled the veil from his wife's face. This woman is Lady Branwen, he said, with a choking note in his voice. My mother! My mother! cried Audrey, rising to her feet and grasping at Ralph for support. End of chapter 23